Hello, everybody. Welcome to Adequately Informed for Monday, May 31st, 2021. My name's Joe Hicks. And mine's Evan Kelly. And Evan Kelly, what are we here to do today? Well, Joe, I think as is our typical bit, we're going to have a conversation. We're going to discuss some ideas, or in this case, again, back-to-back weeks, one big idea, and we're going to pull in uh, research from a number of sources filtered through our own distinctly Evan and Joey opinion, and uh, you just call me Joey? It's more like Evan and Joe, and then to make it an adjective, I added an, you know, a Y at the end. Okay, okay, I just want to make sure. I know, I know, I know Joey's no good for you. I respect that, but, you know, I don't know another way to turn it into an adjective. <laughs> uh, so, you know, whole whole deal. Um, make sure that uh, we're, we're in good faith, keeping ourselves, keeping you in adequately informed territory. Yeah, you know, we know we don't know everything. We are not infallible. Um, we believe that viewpoints other than ours can be had in good faith and can be valid. Um, you know, we're not on the ivory tower. We're not looking down the plebs of the takes world. I mean, to be honest, you know, we're here. I think we're the plebs of the takes world, you know? Oh yeah. We're, we're, we're trying to rise. I, I'm an aspiring poster. Um, but just, I cannot post at the levels that other people do. Like, Jeez, I, I'm going on to a tangent in the intros, but that's and that's no good. But Evan, we're, yeah. we're, so we got a we got a main topic today. What what are we talking about? So we are going to talk about the big lie, which in this context refers to the repeated notion by Donald Trump and his supporters and gaining bigger and bigger credence among the Republican Party, that there were vast irregularities in the 2020 election, that the election was rigged or otherwise improperly tipped to Joe Biden, and that Donald Trump is the rightful winner of the 2020 election. So we're going to we're going to break this down because it's yeah. not going away. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, I mean, shit, almost when, with you putting it just all bare like that, it's like, Okay, well, there we go. That's the episode, guys. <laughs> yeah, don't believe this lie. And, uh, you know, uh, let's talk about uh, former NFL running back Mueldy Moore. Yeah. Um, I Oh, I Evan, I have an interesting anecdote. Um, <laughs> but, but, okay. Big lie. It, where does this come from, the big lie? Um, it... You know, it, I, I, I have had a feeling that in the United States for a long time, there have been a large contingent, a relatively large contingent of people who are have generally been distrust, distrustful of our election process, not because of any evidence, but it feels like the people of the United States, there's a certain demographic that are just kind of generally distrustful of government institutions and voting is like the ultimate government institution. And it, you know, I, I mean, I, this is almost anecdotal, but I have known people where they'll be like, like even before Donald Trump would be like, Oh, I don't trust the elections at all. And it's like, why? And I'm like, well, just think about it. And I'm like, <laughs> 
I am thinking about it. What's going on? Yeah, what what are these thoughts that you're having that I'm obviously not? You I know? think about the democratic process literally all the time. What am I missing? Yeah, but but that's the thing is that like you and I are close to it. We are close to the details. And oftentimes when you get closer to things like that, it's harder to believe that there's like widespread systemic fraud. Mm-hmm that is going on because like you know we look at this i i'm a reader of 538 and stuff and they're you know they you know if, if there were some big discrepancies they would you know i there would be a very boring podcast about it um that would be <laughs> happening and i would listen to it to it all but so like before this before the 2020 election happened there's just like People who are more susceptible to believing that elections are not on the level, just like it generally, when that has not been the case. Like, uh, there's a lot of research out there that shows that, like, American elections are, at least within modern times of the last 20 to 30 years, have been morally upstanding for the most part and contain very 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 little fraud but joe but evan isn't the point that um if there was fraud we wouldn't know about it because they just do the fraud and it slides in with all the other ballots yeah <laughs> I, I I don't abide by this idea, but that is a common argument. Like, oh well, if, if th- we have to assume there's fraud because if they're good at what they're doing, we'd never know. Should Should I go into an explanation of why that isn't the case? Yes. Okay. So, <laughs> if you've voted before, you know there are levels of verification. So while you may not need to present your government idea ID when you show up, you definitely need to present your government ID. When you register, you need to present who you are, you know, there and it's like there's levels of verification built into the things that are used to verify who you are. And then the voting offices go off that verification um, to verify who you are. And then not only that, but like this whole stuffing the ballot box idea comes like comes from an idea that like we're all just kind of writing down who we want to win on a little piece of paper and nothing else is on that piece of paper. (laughs) And then it goes into a box and we just count the one, like each ballot has identification numbers on it. So it's like you show up, you had to identify who you were and, you know, to make sure that you're eligible to vote, then you go to vote. Then, you know, uh, an election officer signs off on your specific form, you know, that you got a specific ballot and then you go and vote on that specific ballot. And then that specific ballot is tied to you and then is counted later where, you know, only ballots that, ha- you know, are like numbered and all that stuff are selected you know counted um it's not like people are just showing up you know there could be more ballots in there you know it's really weird that um people talk about like voter id laws like the very the only thing that voter id laws protect against is the very specific 
version of voter fraud where someone shows up to an election, someone else is already registered and, you know, the the fraudster claims to be that person and that person also never shows up to vote. Like, yeah. like very specifically, like there's a lot of things that have to go wrong. Like it's hard to do, like actually be effectual at voter fraud. And even then there is a higher likely, like a relatively high likelihood of being caught. It isn't, you know, it's not like, you know, they just see this stack of ballots that don't have, you know, that weren't already predained for people to vote and be like, well, I guess we got to count those too. Just got to <laughs> count every ballot. So there are a lot of layers of security to it and it's decentralized too. So there's also additional you know, some additional security in that. I mean, I'm not super crazy about decentralized elections, but at least in this specific case, you know, it kind of helps that there, you know, it's harder for some big overarching hand to like go and do systemic voter fraud. So it's just not the case that voter fraud is a massive issue. Yeah, because it's typically what, like on a county level. So you would need like coordination among people in in various counties Mm -hmm. of states that then report nationally well they report to the states and then you know the states assign their delegates and so on and so forth and then there'd be a lot of layers to it a lot of layers. yeah so so let's say you even get past all of that um and the main way you would probably want to do voter fraud is just by creating a lot of extra votes for the person or changing votes well there, there's another level of security in that, like, people look at where these votes happen. They look at different districts and all this kind of stuff. And, um, you know, there are patterns that you can generally see in voting. You know, we, there, there's a standby that most people generally vote the same way year to year. There aren't crazy, crazy wild swings. But if there are swings they tend to be correlated with other areas so it's like i don't know if um you know if the county that evan and i were from like decided just one year swung wildly 60 points to the democrats like and and then all the surrounding counties like swung towards republicans that would be an outlier because, you know, we're more like our surrounding counties and a swing like that wouldn't happen generally, or it's at least sus. It would be suspicious. Yeah. Yeah. It would be cause for extra concern. Or if it turned out like one year there were 10,000 votes in our county. And then the year after that, there was 40,000 votes. Um, that would also be like cause mm-hmm. for concern. So people are looking at all these different percentages and, you know, the levels of vote, the composition of the vote, and um, generally are able to see how, you know, whether things change to a suspicious amount. Not to say that change can't happen, but change is often like uniform across big demographics, not, you know, located to a very small geography, which voter fraud in the United States would take the form of um and there was even an example of this happening um in the 2018 midterms and in one of the carolinas there was a uh, political operative who actually did the thing that a lot of people said about mail-in ballots and he um he took 
mail-in ballots out of people's mailboxes, um, had a little operation to have them all vote Republican and then sent them in. But this, the dude was caught and they re-ran the election, mm. um, which to me gives confidence in the system. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. When, when fraud exists, it, there's mechanisms to catch it and correct it. Yeah. So, but, so that's the general idea of fraud in the United States. There isn't a whole lot. And if there is, it's kind of catchable. But then the year of 2020 saw the president of the United States um, pretty hardcore drumming, like building up to the big lie. Like, you know, Trump would say that all the... You know, because of the coronavirus, you know, a lot of states, had, you know, started the mail-in ballot initiatives um, and able to help ensure greater public safety in light of voting, which is something that we still believed was necessary. And and um, thanks to Trump and other acolytes, you know, a whole bunch of people saw that as hugely discredited. Well, shit, let's I mean, I don't want to derail, but let's peg it even earlier. Trump before the election of 2016 claimed that that election was rigged somehow. Um, And then he didn't walk back those claims even after he won. So he, it's, it's really a longstanding tactic of his just to cast doubt upon the legitimacy of the electoral process without evidence so that in the event that he loses as he did in 2020 that he can make a big stink and you know claim that he is still the legitimate winner yeah that's a that's a hallmark of trump but like you know trump did set that up in 2016 i mean i guess it's just that the difference between 2016 and 2020 was in 2016 Trump won, so we didn't have to deal with the consequences of it. Mm-hmm. But then in 2020, he lost, so he did have to deal with the consequences of that. Um, so the stage was set for basically that if Trump lost in the eyes of him or of what he put out and in the eyes of uh, some of his hardcore supporters was that there's no way he could have lost mm-hmm. like the fervor was high enough within their camp that they couldn't see it in any way that he could lose. And if he did, it was not because, well, shit, you know, it was like not even that, I don't know, a bunch of extra ballots were going to happen that just somehow these mail-in ballots were illegitimate. Just well, generally. yeah, that's that's another part of it is part of the big lie is that based on the early returns, because remember that or not remember, I'll explain it for the first time on this show um, on election night in November, they counted the in-person ballots first, which skewed largely towards Trump. Of course, many of the mail-in ballots ended up leaning towards Biden for the simple reason that Trump told his supporters not to vote by mail. <laughs> so right. it was natural that almost all the mail-in ballots were going to come in for Biden because Trump had basically preordained it that way. But nonetheless, it was called the red mirage, the idea that 
Trump was going to look like he had early leads in several key swing states, but that once the mail-in ballots accurately reflected the entirety of the state delegations, that Biden would pull ahead. But Trump, of course, that that's not a self-serving way to look at it for him. And right. so he decided after we counted the in-person voting to just call it there and declare there was no way that Biden could catch up, even though mathematically he always could and in fact did. Yeah. And, um, you know, a lot of people, it's like, who would have, you know, why didn't anybody do anything to stop this? Why did nobody think that this could have happened? And as, as me being, again, being a listener of the 538 podcast and reading their materials, it's like, oh, we knew about this for months. Yeah. And, <laughs> and just like desperately begging the world to possibly do something about this. But, but. But I guess if it, I guess if you weren't involved in the niche of election like nerd dumb, then I guess nobody was talking about it. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was. I mean, that was when we went on our uh, kind of hiatus. I mean, the the world was spinning a lot at us. It was quite <laughs> a fraught time um, for for you listeners and Evan. <laughs> that was there was a lot of doom scrolling happening then it was that was some tough times but so the votes were finally counted and it came out that joseph robinette biden won but um that wasn't enough trump never conceded the election at least i don't think he did he may have done a like a sneaky um, maybe he's president, but I still don't believe it. But I guess everybody people are saying so. I'll go with it. You know, <laughs> a lot of people are saying this guy. He's yeah. the president. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah. And during after the election, um, there became this fixation on um, January 6th which was the day that the Senate verified the election results. And this gets to a level where, like, I mean, this is all part of the big lie. I mean, it's more of a tangential story, but it's like, it's just so freaky that there are so many parts of our election that are... And parts of our government that are like quasi automatic, like the the Constitution doesn't give the Senate the ability to overthrow the election, but there is still a, a Senate authorization of the election that has always just automatically certified the winner. And it's like, why why are we even doing this? Like, yeah. like. It, you know, you really only put things up to a vote if, if you know, you can vote the other way. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so, you know, there is no legal authority for the Senate to throw out an election. But there became this idea that there was because they had a vote. And, you know, kind of naturally, if you think there's a vote, you you, you would think people would be able to vote no on it. Mm-hmm. And there was this belief that, you know, just put enough pressure on the Republican senators to 
um, decertify the election. And, you know, it would crave a path to the fraud being corrected and Donald Trump being placed as president. So it came to January 6th, you know, President Trump held a rally and he had been hyping it up as well. And as most of us know, then an attempted insurrection happened, attempting to stop the certification of the 2020 election. Like, that's what that was about. Mm-hmm. And it happened. And it's just, uh, I mean, it, it's almost like part of the big lie as well that January 6th, like, wasn't a terrifying moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, ah, uh, you got anything to say? I feel like I'm droning on a lot. <laughs> yeah. So, um, well, a couple of things. Number one, yeah, let's not try to overlook. I, I think that's been the thing that you're hearing in conservative media, like, oh, these, this was just some uh, anodyne protest, or these were people, and and the the crowd looked like they were tourists, not a violent mob. But at the same time. Life was lost. American blood was shed on January 6th. Capitol Police officers lost their lives. Members of the the mob lost their lives. This was not some sort of peaceful or even neutral demonstration. This was a targeted attack to stop the lawful order of government business to justify mm-hmm. a peaceful transition of power. We didn't have that. We did not have a peaceful transfer of power. People died during the process of transitioning power. That should not happen in this country. That shouldn't happen Mm -hmm. in any democracy. So don't let anyone spin to you what really happened on January 6th. The other thing, too, um, let me talk a little bit about sort of the the idea of a big lie and while we call it the big lie so a big lie is a historical idea that emerged in more uh after the fact scholarship around the holocaust because hitler told a big lie that jews in germany had worked against the nation in world war one and they had profited by selling arms to the allies and were traitors to their country and that they were in fact lying about why germany lost the war and so a big lie is a historical concept based on that initial big lie that has a couple of elements to it number one it has to include some sort of big conspiratorial thing. So in that case, the idea that these the Jewish people of Germany were all working together secretly behind the scenes. In this case, we have sort of a deep state element. Oh, you know, the voting machines plus the Democrats plus Brett Raffensperger are all working together against us. And so the lie needs to indict the entire system. But what makes it a big lie is that it has to be something that if you believe it, you cannot possibly do anything other than take action so if you were to believe hitler's big lie you would have to 
take up arms in defense of your nation against people who had betrayed it. In this case, if you genuinely believe that the election was stolen from a light rightful leader, that would be a cause to take up arms in defense of your democracy. But of course, the claims undergirding that were completely fictitious. And so that is why it's a big lie. But the funny thing is that now Trump is calling the notion that Biden won the election the big lie. He's sort of co-opted that, so that's not great. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just so nonsensical because when you look at places that are trying to run audits or places that were subject to recounts, in areas where Joe Biden won the presidency and Republicans won down ballot, there was no fear that the other races on the same ballot were in any way tainted. There was no similar outcry that maybe, you know, if if they were rigging the election for the president, aren't other races also inherently suspect? It was just simply, we didn't like the result, so let's cry and whine about it, and let's try to pretend that there is some great conspiracy shrouding it all so that we will feel compelled to take dramatic action when we are incited to do so. Yeah, because like I would say that generally, if it really was the case that massive amounts of voter fraud for an office happened and people were just playing it along that nothing had happened, I would generally believe that would be cause for some sort of uprising or some sort of action. But I do not believe what we saw in the 2020 election was indeed the voter fraud that is being alleged. Um, that That is the whole thing. Um, is that it just seems it's just like part uh, also part of a big lie is that it has in a way it has to be like audacious. It, you know, it's like a propaganda tool, you know, it, it's almost like a bully lie. Like I remember, um, when, you know, Trump was first elected, he trouted Sean Spicer, his press secretary at the time out to make the ridiculous claim that Trump's inauguration was the most well attended inauguration (laughs) of all time. And that wasn't to try and actually assert that as truth. Like part of that was tested, like testing the loyalty of it. Like Mm -hmm. if you can believe something like that or fight for something like that, you can fight for anything. And the big lie kind of works like this. Like there has not been any sort of proof that there has been widespread fraud, even though, and against the assertions that fraud is undetectable, it is detectable. <laughs> and like, it, it's something, it's just so false. Like, I, I, like with the, you know, the narrative about Jews causing the, def, you know, decline of Germany as a superpower, like just verifiably false, but, but the big lie is not about verifying, you know, it's about, yeah, it's about a big lie. 
so yeah, it's um yeah, after the election and and so after the insurrection, there was there was an attempt an attempt for people in the Republican Party to distance themselves from Trump. Like it looked like there was going to be a break from Fox News. It looked like McConnell and other top congressional leaders were going to um, finally just out him and say no. And it looks like given enough time, that has just um, reversed course. Yeah. <laughs> um, because it's been interesting. So, like, Trump has remained very powerful within a certain segment of the base of the Republican Party, one that is is the most motivated um, to be part of things, most motivated to vote and most motivated to do, you know, things like, I don't know, launch a primary challenge. And what <laughs> Republicans looking back to, you know, the elections of 2010 where um, you know, there was this populist fervor happening in the country and basically every Republican who didn't hop on board with that was knocked out of office. So they're looking now and seeing the populist fervor is trying to say that the selection was stolen. And because of the lessons that they learned from 2010, they don't want to go against it. Mm-hmm. Because of this very, I would say, I would say, I mean, in light of this, in, within the context, a legitimate fear that like they will just be ousted because they were not sufficiently fanatical. Like, yeah, a great case study for this is Liz Cheney. So Liz Cheney, daughter of Dick Cheney, is or was the third highest ranking member in the House Republican Caucus. She's a representative from Wyoming. And, you know, daughter of Dick Cheney, huge time, like, skull and bones, deep red-blooded Republican from, from a Republican family dynasty. Yeah. But for all of her faults and failings and pro-torture agendas, she would not kowtow to endorsing the big lie and she continues to publicly say that the election was not stolen that joe biden is the legitimate president and that trump needs to fuck off basically and for this for not maintaining the status quo and spouting the party line in the face of all demonstrable evidence she was censured by the Republican Party and removed from her leadership position explicitly because she did not agree with the party orthodoxy. So it is pretty funny that, um, you know, the anti-cancel culture party did cancel one of their own members for stating her own opinion. And like, I don't care about Liz Cheney. Like she, you know, the Republican Party doesn't have to have her in a position of power if they don't want to. But it is, you know, reveals a, a deep hypocrisy, in my opinion. Yeah. Based on how they posture. Well, but but this is the crazy thing, is that, like, there are people who, like, you can be, like, not believe the big lie, but you just can't be, like, actively out there, like, going against it. Yeah. <laughs> like, and that's what Liz Cheney was, too. Like, she was stirring the pot. 
and it was like no pot stirring we we you know you can you can believe something else but like no pot stirring but i mean even increasingly it's hard to just not believe or well that that's the point of a big lie is it's kind of something that's so big that you have to take a stand on it one way or the other you have to say like yes our election was store was stolen so i'm going to washington or you have to say no these people are insane right you kind of can't stay on the fence. yeah yeah you can't you can't be yeah, that's a that's a really good point is that it's something so audacious like it's yeah, it, it because it's something that rises to the level of needing a call to action for it for the average person. It, it just does not occupy a space where someone can just be you know, non engaged in it. Yeah, because either level. you believe either you believe that there were vast irregularities in our votes which is cause for alarm or you believe that a demagogue is trying to lie about our election to foment distrust in our election security and you can't be neutral or okay with that either so you know you kind of gotta draw your sword on either side here so it'll be really interesting to see if you know some really far right person is able to primary Liz Cheney I I, I guess she's up for because all house elections are two years so 2022 mm-hmm. we'll get a good good idea of how that's going in Wyoming well that's and that, that's another weird thing is that it's not even like the traditional left right politics are not like as applicable it's it's almost just like big lie versus not big lie you know yeah it's become its own political axis yeah that and kind of supersedes what you think about the size of government or the role of the welfare state or uh government's protection of civil rights and social liberties it, yeah it's it's like its own its own thing yeah it's its own axis within the you know the republican party is are you i mean and I feel like this axis has tracked on to like axes of the past where it was like in like the 2010, the Tea Party election, the axis was like, do you believe that you can like worth in work within the government and as normal or do you believe that you just need to blow everything up? Mm-hmm. And this like tracks to the current day axis. <laughs> Um, and it's just, it's, it's weird. And it, you know, it's like, and then before in like the 2018 and 2020, like congressional elections, it's, it's like there was a disconnect, like where there were people who would be very, or officials who would be very pro Trump, but they were not like the Trump candidate. Mm -hmm. Like you had to almost be like him in a sense to be the Trump candidate, even if you didn't necessarily align with everything he did. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's just, uh, the big lie though, the big lie seems to be part of the Republican truth now because like explain before, like I understand the reasons why it has taken a hold. Doesn't mean that I necessarily think that's okay, but like, the incentive structure for officials within the Republican party are just not great for going against the big lie right now. 
Um, yeah. Yeah. With the chance of being primaried out by someone who believes the big lie or is more fervent in it. Um, it's just, it, it, it's all pretty bad. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and it's like, where do we go from here? Because, a number of Republican states have used their this as a launching block to make voting rights more restrictive. Um, now, I mean, I guess there are some arguments about whether the whole, you know, wholesale restrictiveness is a whole lot different or not. But like, at least from the onset, it looks like trying to make voting more difficult. And especially in a state like Georgia, where they changed the rules where if the 2020 election had been played out under the new rules, you know, uh, Donald Trump would have won because Mm. of specific rules about specific types of ballots and provisional ballots and all that kind of stuff. So it's um, it's been very like it's really trying to set the stage for stealing an election like it that at least that's what it seems like i i don't want to be alarmist yeah i think stealing maybe is a loaded word in this case but it does seem like within the vast number of levers that you can pull to orient an an election towards one direction or another they are trying to line it up so that the outcome will be more favorable to the state party's orthodoxy in the future. Yeah. Like, you know, um, it's like with the electoral college where if someone wins one way, you know, really wins one way or loses the other way, it's pretty definitive. You know, like if, if Biden had gotten, you know, 375 electoral votes, like that would have been seen as a landslide and there wouldn't have been a whole lot of talk of, you know, this being a thing. But since he won in the more moderate, I, I mean, I think he won somewhere in like the 306 to 312 range. And that's a lot closer. Well, he to won half. by the same margin that Trump won by in 2016. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then I was 306. So, you know, the margin was kind of slimmer, you know, in this middle area. And things kind of although according to Trump in 2016, it was the largest margin in history. Well, of course, you know, forgetting (laughs) most other elections. Um, But but it's just like when things are right around the middle, things can kind of be ambiguous and a little bit more contested. And if anything, it seems like what's happening with the rules in these states is that there's trying, there's an attempt to create more levers to do things in the face of ambiguity or, Mm. or for or outside actors to take control. (laughs) Um, And it's just been, it's, uh, it's something to behold, you know, like we like to, I, you know, I'd like to think that, you know, we could just have a civic mind where everybody gets the right to vote and we all aspire to do that. But as we've seen in American history, there there's always a side that doesn't seem to be about that. Mm-hmm. 
Um, there's a deep-seated belief in American culture that not everybody is equal in that sense. You know, it's the great contradiction. You know, it's like some groups, you know, take the the preamble of the Constitution as serious and the Declaration of Independence as serious, and then others are like, well, yeah, but the people who wrote it didn't even live up to it. And it's like... <laughs> And then there are people who don't believe it just in Hoslow and think of how they'll act in light of that. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's why I think it is important to try to work towards a goal, a true goal of one person, one vote and expanding voting access. Because you're right, that's sort of our ideal, but it's never really worked that way, has it? But that doesn't mean that it's not worth trying to create, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, we can do it. It just will take, I don't know. I, you know, it's like big things like this, big tensions like this. I don't think they get sorted out during normal business. (laughs) You know, like a lot of other countries have stuff like this and you're more truly Democrat or democratic, but like. Most of those symptoms or systems came through times of great upheaval. (laughs) Like, you know, all the European governments, for the most part, got restructured after World War II. You know, a big, great upheaval (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, that, you know, was like a bunch of people just kind of universally deciding that, hey, this is untenable anymore. Or just like things were so broken that, you know, a broker like the United States, Britain and Russia could come in and be like, hey, let's set things up for you. We got a nice. We got it now. Yeah, we got a nice little democracy starter kit for you. We'll get things going here. And, you know, funny thing is that, you know, whenever America helps has helped set up a democracy in another country, we do not set up our form of democracy. (laughs) Because ours is is quite fraught compared to more basically the parliamentarian version of democracy. Um, so <laughs> it's just kind of like, well, we'll see where we go from here. Yeah. But, you know, especially with the big lie. You know, once something in there gets seated like that, it's hard to unseat it. Um, you know. Because people will, again, because they're, like I said in the beginning, there there are a lot of people who are just more willing to believe that there's just kind of widespread fraud throughout the country. And not even just in voting, just like in general. And those people are going to be pretty willing to keep on believing it. You know? And, you know, it's like right now there's a, out in Arizona, Arizona was one of the, so-called contested elections of uh, the 2020 year. And, you know, Biden won pretty narrowly, like something like by about like a couple, like just on mere thousands of votes. Um, And so there was a, a recount or an audit that happened. And, you know, Republicans in the state just decided that wasn't enough. So I think they're on their third audit. And this third audit is not even done by the government. It's being done by like a third party 
like cybersecurity form, you know, company that just totally seems like a sham. I think they're called <laughs> Cyber Ninjas is the company name. <laughs> and they're doing ludicrous stuff like trying to find bamboo in the ballots because there's a conspiracy theory that some of the bunch of the ballots came from China and there would be bamboo in them if they did. I know. So they're like looking at these ballots under UV lights (laughs) to see if there's bamboo in them. And it's just a farce. But, but even with this farce that's happening, you know, and it being in service of the people who are the believers of the big lie, even if they come back and say, we don't see that there is a whole lot of fraud. It still is not going to like increase confidence in the election. Like no result from this process is going to create a stronger electorate or, or stronger belief in the election system for the people who are dissuaded. And it's just like, what do we do about that? Like, you know, I had this idea that it was like, well, maybe the Democrats should have come out and been like, because, you know, the United States could use, you know, doesn't have a uniform audit system for its election. Like, you know, there's a lot of studies that happen about the election, but official audits don't really happen. It's like, well, what if we, you know, made, you know, introduce legislation to, you know, create more formal systems for doing audits. But it's like, well, that, I mean, that would be good, but. You know, it wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't sway the people who believe the big lie. Yeah, I think that there's kind of this thing that we've got going on where kind of everyone believes that they're a really good investigator. And so if they see the results of a professional investigation that says eh, nothing nothing's really wrong here everything's above board then they're there they, they can discount it they're like ah well th- that person just didn't do it right because they uh, it's almost like we don't believe in the professionalization of people who do audits and investigations like everyone thinks that they can solve the the true crime case everybody is the detective mm-hmm. and so even if someone goes through the work of doing like a thorough professional investigation, that'll never satisfy some people. Right. Most, a lot of people, it seems like, but, but, it, but it's also like, you know, I just read a tweet, a tweet thread that seemed pretty good. And it's like this whole project with Trump and everything has just been like a pure ideological mental indulgence. You know, mm-hmm. the hypocrisy, the contradictions, that's all part of the game. Like somehow fraud is so easy to do that it's done on a widespread level, but then it's also so complicated to find that we need to use UV lights to find bamboo shoots in the paper used for the ballots like Mm -hmm. or or that like somehow on january 6th it was antifa you know doing the riot but then also the people who died on it who were rioters were patriots um you know somehow it is that um 
you know, uh, <laughs> Biden stole the election geniusly, but then he's also adult, you know, mm-hmm. like, and it's just these contradictions. That's what it's all about being able to have it both ways. And I mean, I feel like, you know, I, Evan and I, we're part of, I don't know, kind of the learned class. Um, you know, we both have college degrees. Evan has an advanced degree. Um, we both follow politics pretty, I mean, closer than a normal person does. And, you know, there definitely is this phenomenon where there is a frustration where you want to believe something because you believe in the good of it, but then the facts come out and someone just tells you that you're wrong, like wholesale. And then you go through the facts and it's like, well, maybe I am wrong, but I don't want to be wrong. Are we talking about the lab leak theory now? Yeah, sure. (laughs) Um, But it's like, you know, we've come into this era, you know, Republicans complain all the time about the fact checkers and the fact checkers are like, I don't know. It's like a weirdly, I mean, the idea of checking facts is not new, but the widespread ability to check specific facts is new. Like, that's why a lot of politicians used to be frustrated when Jon Stewart would, you know, pull up, you know, a politician would say one thing and then he would pull up a video of a politician saying the opposite thing like a year ago. Like, yeah, that was the original appeal of his show. Yeah. And it was like, how did you do that? And it's like, I just videotaped it all. And now everybody has access to all the videotapes of everything these officials have done. And it's like. And you can check against the facts of anything. And it's there's I think there's a frustration out there of the people that I don't really buy as like something that's valid to be acted upon. But I at least understand is that and it seems to be exemplified by this big lie is this posturing that people have the belief that they have a right to having ideas about the world that without being challenged by about it, mm-hmm. you know, with the facts and the, and the fact checkers and the pointy heads and, and the damn liberals, <laughs> you know? And I, I sometimes feel that frustration on a micro level, but like, a, you know, and it also happens that most of my politics aligns with the people who do the fact checking and all that kind of stuff. And so it, it seems like since there is a belief that they'll never be right by these, you know, the, you know, the certain facts or the fact checkers and that doesn't account for their feelings on things that, you know, just might as well go with whatever. Mm-hmm. It it really has become a sorting issue, right? Like there's nothing about Republican orthodoxy or conservative orthodoxy that requires a suspension of the truth, but there, you know, somewhere along the line, be it Trump or Bush or whoever, there there became this break between sort of the the intellectual class and the actions of the mainstream Republican Party. And like you said, yeah, if if a fact checker is never going to tell you that the election is stolen, you can choose to change your beliefs. But it's much easier just to say that the fact checkers are full of shit and continue this spiral. 
Yeah. You know, if someone is always saying you're wrong, you're not going to be very charitable to them because Mm -hmm. people don't like to think people like to think they're right. At least some of the time, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's also like part of the losing faith in these institutions. It's just like, I don't know. It's like when you, um, what was it? Like losing faith in one side. It's like, you know, when people, you know, when George Bush went to war with Iraq, there were a lot of people who saw that as misusing the power of government in order to do some ideological, you know, test or, you know, just some, some like passion project or whatever, whatever, what have you, whatever you'll say about Bush wanting to go into Iraq and the tricking of it. And then, but then there were a lot of people who were like, well, there's no way that the, they've tricked us. Like, I don't, I'm not duped. I, I'm not someone who gets duped and I believe we should have gone mm-hmm. to war in Iraq. I, I don't want to believe I'm duped, so I'm going to go along with it. And, you know, people people like to save face. <laughs> yeah. It's... Yeah, because, I mean, you're you're right. Like, it happens to everyone. You, you think something is one way, and then you are very clearly shown that it is not that way. And it really stings. And especially for maybe some of these talking heads whose job is to say things that aren't wrong it's Mm -hmm. really you know just tough to wrap your head around making such a big change and so they just don't do it yeah or you know you just want to believe that the people you trust are saying the right thing but if it turns out they're not saying the right thing then you i mean you're not going to trust the person who says the opposite because you don't like that so you know it's kind of like well i'm just going to go along with the you know, the person who says the things that I like, even if, you know, on some, you know, global truth thing, it's, it's not true. So it's just not, not a great situation, not a great situation overall. No, no, it's really not, but because we are, I mean, like, you know, once the big lie is planted, it's hard to fight because it is so audacious. Like, that's the thing, you know, if you, you know, what if you were someone in Germany and, you know, the big lie was going around that Jews, you know, orchestrated to humiliate Germany after world war one, you know, what if you were the, you know, the Vox or the, you know, (laughs) let's even just go with that. You were the Vox and it's like, um, 27 reports show that no Jews were not responsible for, the demise of Germany after world war one or something like nobody like that wouldn't have done anything (laughs) because that's, that doesn't cater to the people who believe that sort of thing. Yeah. Or let's take it on like a personal level. Let's say all of a sudden one day your roommate asks you, Hey, can you move the giant dragon that's in front of our TV? And you're like, wait, what dragon? And no matter how much your roommate is persuaded that there is a giant dragon in front of the TV, you can't just like carry on like that because 
if you know you have different understandings of reality and that influence your understanding of reality influences the actions that you take within your universe and within your community and I mean, and maybe this is what we've been circling towards the whole time, but if we don't agree on the fundamental nature of reality, especially our political reality, how can we function as a unified society? How can we function as a cohesive body politic? We can't. And Uh, it doesn't seem like we can rectify it. And it and it's something that, you know, this has been coming for a long time. Like this is not a new conversation that's had about like an agreed upon truth, but it it's it's you know, it was different when we didn't have an agreed upon truth between the two sides about, you know, what the import export bank does. Like <laughs> like that isn't super contentious. It it's not gonna change a whole lot of things you know, if you're on, you know, your understanding of it is just wrong. Whereas, you know, the big lie, it's something so actionable that you can't, like we said earlier, you can't ignore it one way or the other. And the implications are massive because either Joe Biden just unseated a dangerous demagogue or he is one. And (laughs) so either way, you think the other side has someone completely dangerous at the reins. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. If only it was about the import export bank, that would be so much easier, but we're talking about bigger things now. If only we could be debating between whether the three cent titanium tax goes too far or whether it doesn't go too far enough. That's all I, that's all I want to debate, but we can't. Yeah. Uh, titanium taxes. Um. Yeah, you got it's a Futurama anything? reference. Yeah, a, yeah, yeah I know it. Futurama. Is. Oh, yeah. good. Yeah, I know this one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, do you have anything else you want to say, Evan? No. Um. Oh, I guess scared we, and sad. I, Go ahead. We could do a little bit of uh. So the big lie came into a little bit more like this. What this conversation was originally inspired by Liz Cheney's ouster which is like pretty old hat news now. <laughs> um, but yeah, just these last few days, the, um, they took a vote in the Senate of whether they were going to have a January 6th commission, you know, to investigate what happened. And basically what happened was not enough votes were there to overcome a filibuster. Which is also crazy because, like, we're we're getting back to filibuster conversations because, like, six Republicans voted for the the um to do the commission, and even then, you know, it's crazy that you can have a bipartisan uh, legislation, and you know, which is purportedly what everybody wants, but then it's still not enough to overcome. Yeah, the gridlock. Which it's also just like the this this isn't going to be a bipartisan bill like <laughs> like well in some ways it is because you know like Romney and Susan Collins and all of them have like signed on to do it but like you're not going to get you know a whole lot more than that out of it and somehow mm-hmm. it's still blocked like you need to get rid of filibuster rules to investigate 
um, attacks on American democracy. No, because if we get rid of the filibuster, then the Republicans are just going to, you know, gut Roe v. Wade sometime 40 years in the future. And so that, you know, any one bill the Republicans would ever want to pass. That's a good trade for all the progressive legislation we could do now. Yeah, I'm, I'm OK. I'm OK with this trade off. I'm not. Okay. But not. Uh, <laughs> what is just this? let 2006? people pass bills. Not. Yeah. This suit is not black. Not. <laughs> um. So yeah, I'm just. Um, I really think there should be a greater investigation of what happened on January 6th. Um, because, yeah, yikes, not great. Yeah, it'd be nice to get an official governmental account of what their again professional investigators could figure out and discern what happened because right Um, now we've got a lot of accounts and journalists have tried to do good reporting on it but it'd be nice to just kind of have one authoritative narrative yeah yep it's tough man another episode where we're ending on it's tough (laughs) yeah guys whoa Maybe next week we should uh, do some lighthearted stuff, you know? Yeah. Or next uh, time. Joe's favorite YouTube videos and um, Evan's French fry rankings. Ooh. Oh, geez, man. You gave me a monumental task, man. <laughs> <laughs> also, you know, I think we're uh, I think that's it for the, the show in general um the main topic but since you bring it up does every like is everybody who's it really into movies just very list orientated i think that there's a good overlap yeah um because i know you you got your lists and it seems like a bunch of other movie people are very list oriented you know here's my here's my five things that i love about this it's like oh geez yeah, I think the the film community has sort of adopted lists as as a, a good part of our trade because if you don't have lists like the hundred movies you need to see before you die or all the Oscar nominated movies of this year, what you end up with is an infinite loop of two guys going back and forth like, oh, have you seen this movie? No, I need to. Have you seen this movie? No, no, but I've heard good things about it. And it just gets very messy. <laughs> I guess. And so we we just, you know, instead of free form um, tossing out titles of movies indiscriminately forever, we just make lists and then we can cross things off and it helps direct our hobby. Interesting. Well, make your list on your top 10 favorite big lies. (laughs) Um, Well, post them to. I don't know, just somewhere on the Internet. I'm sure it'll go over great. Yeah, we'll but, throw them out there. Yeah. But, uh, Evan, I, I, you got anything else you left to say? No, sir. No, sir. Well, on another uh, kind of downer episode, um, <laughs> that's where we leave it. We'd like to thank you for listening, if you've made it this far. We'd also like to thank Anthony Hish for the music. But anyway, my name's Joe Hicks. And mine is still Evan Kelly. And we hope that you've been... Adequately informed.